Hi, I'm Neil Orford. Welcome to the Critique Journal Club podcast for June 2013. This is where we look at the months that's been in the critical care literature. It was a relatively quiet month for critical care, but let's start with the Interact 2 Investigators trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So this international multi-centre RCT compares lowering systolic blood pressure within one hour of stroke to the guideline recommended therapy, which is high systolic blood pressure aims within six hours of stroke, in 2,829 patients with a spontaneous intracerebral hemorrhage. They report no difference in the primary outcome, which was death or major disability at 90 days, no difference in mortality at 90 days, which was 11.9% in early blood pressure lowering versus 12% in standard care. There was a better modified Rankin score in the early group, and there were better health quality of life in a number of domains in the early blood pressure group. Still in the stroke field, there is a paper published in JAMA, Time to Treatment with Intravenous Tissue Plasminogen Activator and Outcome from Acute Ischemic Stroke, as opposed to the previous study, which was intracerebral hemorrhage. So although RCTs of TPA in acute ischemic stroke suggest time-dependent benefit, there is ongoing uncertainty about external validity and applicability in the non-clinical trial setting. So this large US stroke registry looks at the outcome of 58,353 patients with ischemic stroke who received TPA within four and a half hours of onset. And what they report is faster onset to treatment time was associated with reduced mortality, reduced intracranial hemorrhage and improved ambulation and increased discharge to home. So they conclude that in the real world setting there is evidence that uh, rapid implementation of TPA equals better outcomes. In intensive care medicine a French study looks at the number of supervised studies required to reach competence in advanced critical care transesophageal echocardiography. So the question is, how many toes do you need to do in ICU to become competent? And this is a question many countries and many intensivists and their societies have mulled over over the last decade. This prospective multi-centre French study suggests at least 31 supervised exams over a six-month period are required to reach competence in the hemodynamic evaluation of ventilated patients. Now, of interest, there was no standardised theoretical course. So that is, uh, they just taught people and supervised them on the job over a six-month period, with a fairly intense six-month period, but there was no formal theoretical program. Uh, And they used their previously validated scoring system to establish if people were competent or not. Again, in intensive care medicine, we have a study on high-flow nasal cannula and their effectiveness in acute viral bronchiolitis. So this study looks at the physiological effect. So HFNC has found a role between oxygen and nasal CPAP in infant bronchiolitis. As it appears, well-tolerated, leads to a reduction in heart rate and respiratory rate, 
suggesting improved alveolar ventilation, unloading of inspiratory muscles, and allowing passive expiration. The study explores the effect of HFNC on airway pressure in infants with bronchiolitis, and they found that 2 litres per kilo per minute or greater was associated with a positive pharyngeal pressure throughout the respiratory cycle, leading to a 50% reduction in respiratory effort. Uh, they also comment that air leak reduces efficacy and was managed by pacifiers and nasal cannulae of at least half the diameter of the nares. So this really adds to the evidence that high-fly nasal cannula are an effective tool in paediatric acute viral bronchiolitis and provides a physiological mechanism which sort of measures the PEEP effect that they have. A study in critical care medicine looks at medical ICU admission diagnoses and outcome in HIV-infected and virus-uninfected veterans in the combination antiretroviral era. So combined antiretroviral therapy, or ART, has increased the average life expectancy of people with HIV into their 70s. This means the HIV-positive population are now contending with other comorbidities and presenting to medical ICUs for treatment. This observational study compares the principal diagnoses between HIV-positive and uninfected patients admitted to a VA medical ICU and determines the factors associated with 30-day mortality. They report that when compared to non-HIV-infected medical ICU controls, the HIV-positive medical ICU patients are younger, have more respiratory and infection-related diagnoses despite ART and evidence of suppressed viral load, are ventilated more frequently and have a higher 30-day mortality. In intensive care medicine, again, we have a systematic review and meta-analysis which looks at the choice of renal replacement therapy modality and dialysis dependence after acute kidney injury. So this reports on the need for dialysis after ICU in patients who receive renal replacement therapy for acute kidney injury in ICU. So from over 6,500 patients in 50 studies, they conclude that, one, patients who receive intermittent renal replacement therapy as their initial modality for acute kidney injury had 1.7 times increased risk of remaining dialysis-dependent as compared with those who initially received continuous renal replacement therapy. They included data from observational studies as well as RCTs and concluded that larger studies that include renal recovery after ICU are needed to determine the nature of this relationship. Back to the New England Journal of Medicine, we have another report about viral outbreaks. So this paper, Hospital Outbreak of Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus, or MERS, describes an outbreak of the MERS coronavirus infections in a cluster of healthcare workers in Saudi Arabia. So it occurred in ICU, hemodialysis and ward settings and had an associated 65% mortality. 
There are features to suggest that this could have global implications, which include the high mortality rate, the person-to-person transmission, the rapid transmission and high attack rate, and the presence of the MERS virus in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Jordan, the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Tunisia and Italy. Another systematic review in critical care medicine, this one on the effect of selenium therapy on mortality in patients with sepsis syndromes. So selenium is a trace mineral with antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects and is essential for glutathione, iodine and thyroid metabolism. Most of it is found as selenoproteins and glutathione peroxidase. Like many things, low selenium levels in critical illness are associated with increased mortality and a number of RCTs have looked at the effect of replacement. So this systematic review tells us that there have been nine trials with only two at low risk of bias. Selenium supplementation with higher than daily dose may reduce mortality and is promising in sepsis. It had no effect on ICU length of stay or BAP rate and the dose-effect relationship remains unclear. There are two trials, the Canadian Critical Care Trials Group and SEPNET CTG, with 2,000 patients between them in selenium RCTs, and we await their results. And the last paper we're going to look at is another systematic review. This one, Does the Central Venous Pressure Predict Fluid Responsiveness? An updated meta-analysis and a plea for some common sense by Paul Marek and Rodrigo Cavallacci in Critical Care Medicine. So the authors repeat a meta-analysis that they performed in 2008. Their 2008 meta-analysis about fluid responsiveness and CVP concluded CVP should not be used to make clinical decisions regarding fluid management. Now this meta-analysis has produced the same results, that is, CVP is unable to predict fluid responsiveness among a broad range of patients in various clinical settings. So the authors conclude that there is no data to support the widespread practice of using central venous pressure to guide fluid therapy. This approach to fluid resuscitation should be abandoned. So there's something for us all to think about. Well, that's it from me and from Critique for the month. Come to the site and have a look at the abstracts and the papers themselves, or we'll see you next month. Bye.